Adoption Now, telling your adoption story, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now, here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're back in studio recording shows, now airing on 94.7 FM The Word. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, we're a radio program and podcast. You can find all of our episodes on adoption at adoption-now.com. I am an adoptive mom of four. My oldest is seven, and we are currently fostering nine puppies. So life is crazy. I'm crazy, but I'm passionate about adoption on every level, the good, the bad, the challenging, and the beautiful. I have interviewed over 70 families and been on the adoption journey seven times. So we're here to bring hope and understanding into the world of adoption. We know that there is joy and hardship in every story. Today, we're talking about RAD and how children with reactive attachment disorder can affect an entire family. James and Noel started their adoption journey in Colorado, but now live in Arizona. The process started seven years ago when they decided to adopt through the foster care system. They had two biological children, still have two biological children, but at the time, their daughter was 15 and their son was 13. They chose Project 127 to do their in-state training, and within a few weeks of finishing the process, they were told about two brothers ages 5 and 18 months, who needed a home. Today, we have Noelle to tell us about this journey. Noelle, welcome to the show. Hi, April. Thanks for having me. Okay, so this is a big change from what you thought was going to happen. James is the stay-at-home dad. He was excited, but you work full-time. You wanted one child, no diapers, no major abuse, and this was totally opposite of what you had planned. Why did you say yes? Yeah, that's a great question, April. So I went into it with my checklist, so to speak, because that's how my brain works. Um, like I didn't, I knew things, there were certain things that I couldn't deal with, abuse. I didn't want to go back to diapers, having kids that were close to going to college. Um, so I really kind of had this checklist in my mind, whereas my husband being stay at home, um, he really felt like God was calling him into a sibling group and he really had a different vision. And I had my track, he had his track. Um Ultimately, we went into this adoption process with an open mind, knowing that God was leading us into it. And um, when we were presented with these two boys, um, you know, I took some time to pray about it and ultimately made the decision that we would move forward. My husband was um, basically using that as confirmation that these were the boys that were meant for our family. He has always felt like we were going to receive a sibling group. So they had been a part of severe abuse, though, because their parents had lost rights immediately, which we don't even hear of in Colorado that fast. So they were adoptable right away. They were. It was very uncommon. We were presented with the boys. They were in a foster care situation uh, for six months, and they were um, about to be split up. So the foster family wanted to keep the younger child, who was 18 months, but did not want to keep the older at the time. He was five. So they were going to send them off. And really that tugged on our heartstrings because we really have a heart to keep families together. So that was a huge part of our decision. Um, so, yes, it's very unusual. The, the parents' rights were relinquished on October 11th. And um, we took, uh, they came into our care on the 22nd. So 11 days later, they were um, basically legally free for adoption. Wow. What was that transition like? 
Um, you know, it was actually quite easy at the beginning, what we now refer to and know very commonly as the honeymoon phase. Uh, the boys moved in. Jacob, uh, our younger, was um, his, their abuse was very different. So he was very affective, didn't have speech or language ability, really didn't make a lot of eye contact, um, 18 months, but more along the lines of a nine-month-old, whereas our five-year-old um, just kind of seemed like a rambunctious, typical five-year-old. Um, so the, the honeymoon phase was, was quite extensive, I would say, for about a year. So initially, uh, really, it was about getting care for the 18-month-old, getting him some speech therapy, and then getting our five-year-old enrolled in school and getting him some normalcy and really thinking that, um, you know, what what we had been told about what may potentially come in his future, we, we kind of were like, oh, forget it. You know, we can do this. We've got this. We've just, we parented two other children before. This should be no big deal. So it was, for a period of time, it was great. And how were your older children adjusting? The great thing about uh, adopting children or fostering to adopt children with such an age discrepancy is they were fantastic. We went into foster care and adoption um, basically co with our children. In other words, we went into it with agreement that we all were on the same page. We weren't going to do this if they were totally against it. We weren't going to force it down their throat. So they really came in as the really big brother and big sister, almost like aunt and uncle, um, initially and took them under their wing and they still to this day, they have a fantastic, beautiful, wonderful relationship. So really it was an ideal situation with the older kids. Did the kids attach faster to your children or to you guys as parents? I would say definitely to us. Um, definitely to us because again, the kids were only at that time, 13 and 15. So uh, they were busy at school, they had football, they had softball, they were, you know, out of the home a lot. So it was just my husband and myself primarily taking care of them, obviously. Um, so they definitely, they, they used, they attached to us initially, or tried. Were you exhausted? I mean, that's a big change. You didn't want diapers, and here you are, you know, you're changing diapers and potty training and getting kids into kindergarten. You're starting completely over. It was a shock. It was definitely a shock. Um, we were exhausted. I remember the, the day before we got the call that they were going to officially move into our care. It was only eight days after we met them. We were at Target at 930 at night in the baby aisle just staring at everything and asking some woman there, what do you buy for an 18-month-old that's more like a baby? We had no clue because things are totally different. They're, it's completely different than we, when we raised our biological children. So, yeah, we were exhausted 24-7. And then a year later, you get a call. So a year later, I got home from work. Um, I received a phone call from our caseworker who brought us the boys. And um, long story short, she informed me that the boys, um, the boys, by the way, are full biological brothers. Uh, we received a phone call that they indeed have a full biological baby sister. Um, at that time of the phone call, she was... Uh, almost, she was seven, as I recall, seven and a half months old, um, that she had been taken and relinquished at a fire station by a biological mother at four and a half months old um, in El Paso County and had, because it was an after-hours placement, was put in emergency foster care. And we received the call that she, was, she existed and she was a full, is a full biological sibling 
of the boys um, that she was in foster care. How long had she been in foster care? uh, Approximately three and a half months. And they did not call you? They did not. There was some sort of uh, a ball dropped, shall we say, in the system. And they were made aware. There's a registry system in the state of Colorado where they can pull up the child's name and they can see their siblings. And they did that and they saw us, but nobody made a phone call because it was Friday and it was approximately 7.30 at night. Um, It was in January and nobody made a phone call. And so once we finally received the call, it was the foster family was going through the process to try to adopt her, even though they knew that she did have a full two full biological siblings that had been adopted in Colorado. Oh, the family knew. They were aware that there are these siblings around. They must have been very new in the foster care system because anybody knows that you're going to be contacted at some point and, you know, given privy to this child because you're now considered blood family. All of you are. And so they must have just been hoping that maybe you didn't want to adopt or that the state would never call you and so that they could go forward and adopt this child. Must have been hard for them, though, because they've now attached this baby for three and a half months, hoping that she would be their forever child. How did you get her to your home? It's a really difficult process, April. Uh, We we initially... You know, we alerted everybody. We alerted the state. We alerted the baby's um, guardian at Lida. We alerted everybody that we're here. We kind of like waved the flag saying, hey, we just found out that this baby exists. We are fully wanting these these children to be together. They're fully biological, 100%. Um, and, and we want this dot. We want their dot, their sister to be with them. So uh, it was it was not as easy as what we had anticipated. Um, the foster family, I think, probably went into it with great intentions. Uh, very naive, I would say, um, in in the process, and thought they knew about us. And she honestly, when I first met her, said to my face that she was hoping to find me after they adopted her, and that the siblings could have some sort of relationship, um, you know, visitation wise. Clearly, that's not what I believe in the best interest of siblings. Um, and so we had to we hired a, a fantastic attorney, actually a friend of mine who's been in my life since high school. And she, uh, we went into a 12-hour court battle on June 20th, and it was very ugly, uh, very difficult, very emotional on everybody's part. And ultimately, the judge awarded immediate custody of um, our daughter to us, and ultimately actually did end up stripping the license of this particular foster family based upon uh, this current this situation and how they handled it. Right. They did not go in with the right intentions. They probably should have done infant adoption um, because when you go into the foster care system, your intentions have to be that you want the family to be reunited. You want siblings to stay together because that is what the state is going to support. And so if you are going in thinking, well, I could just take this child, even though there might be siblings or the mother might have cleaned up her life and um, able to take her, but I'll be able to keep this child, you're going in with the wrong intentions. 
But I tell everybody, if you want a baby that's going to stay with you forever, really think hard about going into the foster care system because that might not be the end result. And I believe that siblings should stay together. We have to take a break. We're talking to Noelle, a mother of five, and she is going to continue telling her story about how life is now with three kids when she signed up for one. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. This is Denver's all-new 94.7 FM, The Word. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Adoption Now is a nonprofit helping families connect to adoption through storytelling. Thank you so much for your support in 2017. Do you have an adoption story you would like to share? We invite you to be a part of the Adoption Now community by telling your story on our show. Come tell us about the joy and challenges you have experienced in the adoption process. By sharing what you have learned, we can inspire others. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're talking to Noelle Blevins, a mother of five. And in her story, she just brought home three biological siblings. She just got the baby. They found out a year later that a baby girl was born. She was placed in foster care and the foster care family decided to fight them to keep the baby. So they had to hire a lawyer and bring this baby home ultimately so that all three kids could be together. They're full biological siblings. Tell me what that transition was like, Noelle. That was a big transition because when you bring home a baby, one of the biggest things, obviously, is attachment uh, at, at that young, young, young of an age. So, um, you know, she didn't sleep through the night. So she slept in our room. Uh, we were exhausted times a million, uh, but we had such a sense of accomplishment and joy that we had brought all of these siblings together and that they would be raised knowing each other and not having questions. So there was a big sense of accomplishment, but a lot of work, a lot of work involved. And how was the oldest doing at this time? So our oldest boy, our oldest adopted boy, um, you know, we started to see signs. I, I should say, I back up. I started to see signs early on of some attachment issues. Um, my husband is like 100% dad. He really feels like his love, that what God led us to can do anything and that nothing will get in our way and that everything can be overcome. And I, within the first year with our older boy, started to really see things where I felt like a red flag was going up in my mind, um, and even in my heart, too, where I just, I was having problems attaching to him, and I believe that he was definitely having problems attaching to me, and I could eventually, over time, starting to see that it was, it was um, a game, almost, to him, not a, not a game in... Not in, a, not in a way that you and I look at it, but it was almost like he was surviving. He wasn't in our family. And I could see it, but husband couldn't see it. Triangulation is what you're talking yeah. about. Yes, where they pit one parent against each other and yes. then start to control that way. And how old exactly. was he at the time when you started to see that? I saw that, I would say, within the first year of him being with us. So around six six to seven, uh, and I tried to kind of write it off for a period of time, for years, actually. Um, I really tried to write it off and to think that it's just, you know, it's me. It's just got to be me. I've got to work harder as a mom. I've got to try harder to attach to this child. But I could see the manipulation, and I, from a hundred, you know, 100 feet back, watching him interact with my husband as the primary caretaker, I could see how he was affecting my husband and manipulating him and 
um, very, very, very under the radar controlling him. And um, it became a big problem. So people listening to this might say, well, he's been through a lot of abuse. Maybe he's just in survival. Agreed. And I thought that for a lot of years, and I still do. I do believe that still. Uh, we, we, one of the things when you're dealing with a child with reactive attachment disorder is it takes a long time as an adoptive parent to come to the realization that, number one, that they may be affected by this, and number two, that you can't make excuses for all of these behaviors as, quote-unquote, um, I don't want to say normal, but I don't know what other word to use. But And we tried that for years, years and years. Six years we tried and um, agreed. And I said the same thing to myself. This child's been through so much. And so we kind of gave him, I don't want to say excuses, but we gave him a pass on a lot of these passive-aggressive behaviors for a long time because of that exact thought in my head. When was he actually diagnosed with RAD? We were in the state of Colorado for many, many years, actually six to be, uh, well, five and a half with him. And we thought therapist after therapist, I called our social worker, I called Project 127. We looked into the Evergreen Treatment Center. We were even going to send him there. Uh, We tried everything. There's no, quote unquote, nobody would officially, quote, diagnose him with anything. Uh, A lot of times they would go, he would go into these therapists and they would come out and say, I don't know what you're talking about. He's fantastic. Uh, maybe you just need to try to parent this way. Or people would tell us, you know, come in with different parenting approaches. We, I, felt like we were banging our head against a brick wall. Nothing was working. I can imagine. I mean, RAD is very hard to understand. Reactive attachment disorder is hard to understand. Because in some cases, most cases, I would like to say, Children struggle with attachment when they've gone from home to home and they come in and they need to trust you. And so you're working on that. You're working on getting to know each other. I mean, there's a whole process in attachment. With reactive attachment disorder, the brain chemistry has changed. There is not enough love that you can give a child that's going to change that. There is not enough gifts. There's not enough. People say, well, I'm going to pray it away. I have faith that we're going to rebuke this and just cast it away. This is something that takes way more than what most adoptive parents can give or even know what to do with. And it can overturn an entire family. I mean, I would not be able to speak on it if I had not brought a child like this into my home. I would have said, Noelle, did you get your church involved? Did you, I mean, come on, there's got to be something that can heal this child. And what happens is when that brain chemistry changes, love is the enemy. Literally, they will fight you to get love away. Love feels so uncomfortable to them that they will bite you. They will pee on you. They will run away from home. They will triangulate. They will abuse other children. They will do whatever it takes because love feels uncomfortable and they they can't accept it. And so the parent is trying and trying and trying day and day and day and they become exhausted, bitter. They're confused. Their faith is broken. I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, he kind of summed it up right there. Uh, over the period of six years where he was living in our home, uh, you know, two different sides of the story, very, you know, to summarize, basically my husband was, again, he was the one that tried. He was what we call the targeted parent because he was at home. 
I ended up taking a job in medical device where I traveled every week. So I coped by getting out of the situation. I left. I was gone. So my husband was left to deal with it. And then I would come home and I would see the chaos and I would see my husband in shambles over dealing with his manipulation. And April, you mentioned that some kids kick, cry, scream, punch, you know, sometimes feces on the wall. Our son didn't do that. In fact, our, our rad therapist now says that our son has probably one of the worst, um, I don't want to say cases, but he's, his, his level of rad is so intense that he can't even do that. Everything he does is pure survival. It's manipulation. It's lying. It's having control. It's taking control. It's um, anything that he can do to undermine. It's, it's, it's one of the worst kinds of rad because at least if a child is lashing out, they're lashing out and they're feeling something. They're letting something out mm. or some won't do that. So it was very difficult. Um, it was very, very difficult because I saw my husband's health decline. Um, my health declined greatly. Uh, our faith, not my husband, ultimately his faith started to suffer. Mine suffered very early on. I felt like God had brought this to us. And I was so certain because I waited for confirmation to get these boys. I mean, I waited until God, I felt, really spoke to me. And then this happens, and I can't deal with it, and it's disrupting my entire family and my marriage and my health and my older children, and everything is, is it's quicksand. Everything is slowly sinking, and it's not, it's not like a car accident where it's one thing, and then bam, you deal with it. It's an everyday slow chip-away progression that over the period of six years, brought us to a thinking point. Then in your story, you really got to a point where he started disobeying you and started to try to parent the younger children and really put them in situations that were not safe. And one thing I love about your family is that you guys prayed, came together and decided we're going to move to Arizona. Colorado is not necessarily giving us the answers that we need. We're not finding uh, a solution here. We have to move to another state. You got a job in Arizona and so you started over there. We are running out of time, but just tell us really quick about the change that happened for you. You know, very briefly, you know, my faith was suffering greatly for many, many years, and it's reigniting now, fortunately. We, we moved here. I took a job that kept me at home, and we happened to move across the street from an absolute lifesaver. I believe God really just planted certain people in our lives. And uh, my neighbor is a special needs uh, foster mother, and we quickly became friends. And we were talking, and, and behavior started escalating very quickly in our home, where we had to put alarms on our oldest son's doors because he was unsafe with the younger children in the middle of the night, and it could not continue. And she was an absolute godsend and gave us resources here in Arizona that we had never, we had been seeking so desperately in Colorado. So ultimately, we did find um, a wonderful facility for him to go to, and it's, uh, it's children just like him, and it was a hard decision. It was easy yet hard decision for this transition to occur, um, but he has since moved into this, um, this facility. It's a therapeutic home of sorts, and it's, it's 12 miles from our home. It's the only one like it in the country, and we finally kind of feel like God is like showing us the light through all of these six years of trauma and trials. So and he's getting the help, you know, he's getting the help that he needs. 
it's about him. He, you know, a lot of times we're like, is. well, we want a parent and what, are, what will people think of us if they have to go to this treatment center? Or we, or we need help from other people. It's really not about you. It's about him. And he wasn't doing well in your home and he needed help. He needed outside help. And so you got that for him. And I think that parents that make that very, very hard choice should be honored because they have jumped into the trenches. They have said yes to things that people can't even believe a child could be doing. And it's upside down. And so I just commend you for finding him the help that he needs. How are the two younger ones doing? Since our oldest boy has been out of the home, we have seen a complete um, 180 of behavior in our two youngest. You know, you don't realize what trauma bond is until the, the bond is, until it's not there or until it's beginning to be broken. And we're seeing that they're sleeping through the night and their behaviors, they're coming to us now for things as opposed to previously they're, they're constantly looking to their older brother for things because he was behind our back, be parenting them, um, among other things. And, uh, you know, they're flourishing. They're doing fantastic. Uh, we are, we're, we're all kind of, we feel like our finger has been taken off of the electrical socket, so to speak. And we're just now after six years starting to take a deep breath and step back and realize that, you know, he's still our son. He's, right. he's still our child. He's, we haven't given up our child. We just know that for the best interest of him, the best interest of my husband and myself and all of the other four of our children, that this was, there was the only, this is the only way that this was going to work moving forward. Because for him staying here in our home, the way that things were going, it was not going to last. Noelle, I could talk to you all day. I have to bring you back on. I have to end the show now. But thank you for coming on and sharing your very difficult story. But yet, there's so many great things. These two children that you have in your home are attached. And so sometimes you have to go through difficult times to really see what God is doing. And so I thank you for saying yes. And I thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, April. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.